Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Happy new astrological new year. And we are heading off on a new trajectory. Despite covering every conspiracy under the sun, nationalists are still in that comment section below confused about whether I am or am not a nationalist. And I don't know what to tell you at this point, guys. I'm just an English millennial who started making videos and then got smacked about the face with the New World Order. Having been kicked off a of YouTube five times, I'm now not trying to reach a wide audience, but instead to serve up good information to the select few of you who truly get it. And so the new Subscribestar is supposed to serve as a bit of a safe space away from the riffraff. So if you are in there, make sure to comment below on the stuff and get a conversation going. It's the only place where you can access the full 90-minute interview with Laura Fay, as well as replays of Vile News, and there'll be more going up there very soon. Today I'm speaking with Lynn, Rachel and Julie, and together they make up the love party. And that's about all I need to say. Enjoy the episode. Always censored, never silent, this is unwashed. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm really excited today to be back with Rachel, but also with Julie and Lynn, who together form the Love Party. How are you doing, guys? <laughs> We're good, thank you. It's not just us these days. <laughs> so... Well, are you the three founding members? We're the three founding members, but there's a lot of lovers. Okay, um, <laughs> who, who wants to take it away? What is the love party and how did it come about and what's the goals and all of that? Who wants to take the floor? Lynn, opportunity, vitality and empowerment. And we, bit, we are here basically to wrap all that in the big package of love and bring, um, bring a heart-led spiritual aspect into the whole governing arena. I'm not going to call it political. We're a non-political party, um, but we we have felt that we have to have to do something that we have to provide a um a voice for uh, all those people who are not currently um not currently um heard by the voting system but i think there's 70% or something that off frequently don't vote what was the last by election rachel 74.2% didn't bother to turn out and that was of the registered electorate so there's a massive disillusionment and disinterest in politics at the moment and and if we could just revive that interest and and give people hope that there's an alternative to the the two the ping pong of the two main parties you know wouldn't that be like in like in um, holland the uh, farmers parties just um won out of the blue <laughs> so um yeah there's uh these basically we have um we have no real opposition. There is no opposition in Westminster. It is one globalist party. I think we, we're all pretty much aware of that now. Um, so yes, the Lib Dems, the Greens, SNP, um, Labour, Tory are just um, 
<laughs> cheeks of the same backside let's put it up <laughs> <laughs> or pimples on the same backside uh just just a globalist party um which uh obviously only represent a fraction of the people of Britain um less than 30 percent probably so yeah we're here to try and um, represent the other 70 or so percent that are freedom loving sensible that uh understand about about um looking after each other looking after communities and um just being decent people really I suppose <laughs> Awesome. Well, it's a very good start. And um, I want to pick you up on something, which is the idea that um, people are disinterested in politics. Because I think it's fair to say that we've never seen people as interested in not just politics, but sort of meta politics and going pretty much out as far as you can go with opening your mind. So people are, are very ready to do something, very disaffected. Um, and even looking at the last weekend, there were protests all over the place for all sorts of different reasons. Um, and I feel like we are now moving beyond that, aren't we? With like protests were, were they were they were so necessary in 2021. It was basically the only thing I looked forward to for that entire year. Um, but we can't do that forever. And I'm I'm just interested in this because there is all this discussion of like, oh, voting doesn't change anything. If they if it did, it would be illegal. Um, and on the other hand, like, well, our ancestors fought and died for the right to vote. And my perspective is basically like, well, you've got the vote. You got the vote. You know, you don't need you only get the chance to do it every so often. So you don't need to invest all your energy in this thing, the vote. But it is there. And um, and it's essentially kind of it's sort of stolen by the people who've had the resources to do it. And they're rumbled now to I think too many people know about it. Hmm. I really feel that people have been told that they haven't got any uh, power with the vote. And so that switched them off. And they're so fed up with local councils, with um, what they're putting up with in their daily lives, our education system, the healthcare system, if we call it healthcare. And so that has really switched people off. And the more people I talk to that um, are starting to really open up and realise that yeah, I don't want to bother voting. And now the, the photo ID thing, I had a, a guy talking to me the other day. He's lived in the same house for 20 years. He says, why should I have to take a photo ID? I can go in there. They can know, tick my name off that I have voted. They don't need to have all that. And so I said, well, you could do postal voting. He said, well, why should I have to? That's, you know, I shouldn't need to. And he was so cross about it, but also he was appreciative of what we're doing. And that's where I've come to with loads of people. And even just saying this liberation, opportunity, vitality, empowerment, and I say it's love, but we're grounded. And we are here practically to develop local communities and help the community develop itself. And that's where we are. And so it's not aimed at uh, number 10. I think this is a pretty important detail here is that what's going on at the moment is people, first of all, putting up a beacon, like Rachel's channel would be an example of that, is going, hey, 
I'm I'm here. Everyone gather around me, and the people speak out has been fantastic. So, uh, and and there's so many of these, just thousands and thousands of people doing this. Um, so it's coming from the ground up, which is local council level rather than um, yeah, aiming at number ten because I think the idea of we we can't change who's in the cabinet right now, basically, but you can change who's in your local parish council immediately. I think we, if we get this right, if we get this right, we don't actually need a single person to be elected because this is about empowering everybody to do their bits. And so um, liberation is about breaking out of the matrix um, that we've been, um, you know, programmed to believe. Uh, breaking out of the financial system that's keeping people trapped. Break, um, so replacing that with our own, maybe. Uh, sort of finding our own resources so we're not entrapped into buying this big corporation's oil and this big corporation's farmer. And knowing how to look after ourselves, um, op providing opportunities through education. All these things tie in together, really. Um, getting rid of taxes, which enslave us. So all this sort of thing. If we if we get it right, people will start growing their own food or they'll share it with other people. They will um, they will start using common law, perhaps, to uh, and demand a right to uh, demand that their right to a trial by jury is um, honoured. Uh, and that can change the law in its own right. So um, they can perhaps I, I watched Bank of Dave the other week. Brilliant. Very inspirational. Very what I really want to start my own bank now. <laughs> so just things like that if we can um you know all of us together just start getting independent get away from the corporations and away from dependency on the government then they have no power over us they you know they can't um coerce us or you know then it comes down to obvious force and then that's obviously a lot easier to fight than this mind game stuff that they've been doing for the last few decades sorry rachel <laughs> Yeah, can I get a word in edgeways? <laughs> Makes a change. That's a challenge when we have we're kind of three leaders of the party, although Lynn's the official leader, uh, but there's three of us, and we all want to talk. Um, but the thing I just wanted to say there's a there's a few things. Number one is this this thing about not bothering to vote, and the thing that changed my mind about this. And I know Netflix has got a bad reputation, but I watched the Great Hack on Netflix and that came out two or three years ago. And it was about the level, it was kind of insiders who'd been in the world of social media, which were, who were talking about the level of manipulation through social media that is being used to win elections. And there was an example of an election, I think it was somewhere in the Caribbean, where they the party that actually won launched a campaign to, uh, on a, a fake campaign, social media campaign. They infiltrated the whole of the web on behalf of the opposition party uh, to basically to do this thing of not vote. And it was aim aimed at the youth of this is your vote, not vote. This is your strength, not vote. Don't vote, don't vote. And it was actually the winning party that did this into the target audience of the opposition party. 
And so all of these youths, they, they were all doing this, no, we're not going to vote. And it caught on and it went viral. And basically all of the youth didn't bother to vote and it was their protest. And of course, that the party that planted that sailed through and won the election because they deceived the electorate. So, so whilst I totally agree that ultimately you know, ultimately, do we really need to have Westminster? But right here, right now, where we're bridging the, these two realms, I would say, let us let us pattern interrupt this and let us stand. And especially in these local council elections, because the World Economic Forum, this 15 minute city program, they need to win local councils. And if I look at the the, the force of the Labour Party, and trying to win this locally is quite incredible because this is a very conservative area here in Derbyshire Dales where I live. And we know that World Econo um, Labour is now aligned to World Economic Forum. The 15-minute the, the city brainchild of Klaus Schwab, um, they need to win those local councils to bulldoze that through and we have to throw a spanner in the works. <laughs> I would also I would also say that I know hopefully Nick's listening, um, people started to spoil their voting papers and they felt as though they were empowered in doing that. Yeah. But now I know more about it. If they spoil their bo uh, ballot papers instead of voting for us as the perhaps seen as more minor parties, then it potentially we won't get a deposit that we've had to pay refunded. Now I need to get 5% of the people that bother to vote to vote for me. And so what we need is people, if they spoil the papers, then that adds to that 100% of people count. voted. Yeah. It well, it doesn't, doesn't count. Doesn't count, but also it goes against me getting enough of that yeah. 5%. And I need that 5%. So we need people to realise either please don't vote at all or vote for a freedom party, ideally a love party and or an independent. So I'm having to go as Julie Tasker-Love because so far we haven't managed to get recognised with the Electoral Commission because they're putting different hoops in place that seem to be quite a deliberate process but I am allowed to put myself forward as Julie Tasker Love because that's the way I've been um, promoting myself um, over these um, last few weeks. So we need to realise and help people to realise that, yes, they must vote and don't just go and spoil the ballot paper. So vote for Love Party, ideally, or if we're having to be independent, vote for those people that you can trust with. I just wanted to add in here that there is a massive campaign, none of the above, um, mm. you know, and, and this I this idea of like being able to say, I don't agree with any of it. I think that's really important. And, um, you know, but I, it, it is about how the, the th I guess the thing is that the system has got the control. And so resting control off the system and getting these changes in place the only way we're really going to do that is through taking the power the people taking the power back and the house of commons 
being returned to the people, which was the original, that was the original creation of the House of Commons, but now it's it's a house of the big corporates, essentially, unfortunately. And um, what I picture is Downing Street being a tourist attraction. Let's take those railings down and we'll have it as a tourist attraction. We don't need anyone in there. No. <laughs> we want to let well, Nick come in again. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say we don't need a like central cabinet, a central government, do we? We need, well, <laughs> we need the people to have control of their own lives without any of that. It's it's come to an end. Um and I think it is a really fertile time to actually do this. I mean, the footage from the Glastonbury Town Council meeting, I'm sure everyone's seen oh, yeah. this. It was it was fantastic. And um, what's the phrase you used, Rachel? Pattern interrupt? Is that right? Pattern interrupt. I mean, that's that's something, you know, if, if there's a subconscious, that's a phrase from trauma healing. If you've got a subconscious pattern running, like a limiting belief or any any trauma pattern that's just playing out, playing out. If you pattern interrupt it, you kind of bring it from the subconscious into the conscious awareness and it loses its power. And you go, oh, I didn't realize like phrases you might speak into reality or, or habits. So if you pattern interrupt, um, it's you break, you break the spell because we're a lot of us are under a spell, a mind control spell. And there are so many spells that have been cast over us by the media, by our education system. So finding these spells and breaking them is a super important part of the liberation aspect of what we stand for. And I would say part of that is what's happening with our roads. And I gather that this is national, not just Mansfield and Nottinghamshire. I have never in my 60 odd years of life known the state of the roads be like they are. And I'm seriously thinking, is this part of their 15 minute city thing that mm -hmm. they'll get us to think, oh, well, it's not safe to be driving very far. And, but actually we need to keep empowering people to keep voicing about this. And Mansour District Council say, oh, you've got to contact Nottinghamshire Highway people. And there are, oh, oh, well, we're doing the best we can. And oh, oh, all resources and things. Well, why have you allowed the um, roads to get like they are anyway? Seven Trent, our local water authority, were trying to tell me, oh, well, we've got problems with the sewage systems because it's not being maintained for 50 years. So it's like, well, why haven't you been maintaining it over the 50 years so that you don't have such a problem? Yeah, and isn't the the basic idea is that this system that we want to get rid of, um, a lot of it, uh, yeah, we know the guys right up the top are evil and satanic, but so much of it is run on complacency. And as you go down that hierarchy, oh, everyone knows about the reputation that local councils have, don't they? Like, <laughs> if they don't do their job properly, nobody gets fired. That's basically how it goes. Once you're in the council, your day job, from what I've heard from people who've worked there, is to turn two hours of work into nine and make sure it looks like you're an essential part of the team so that you never lose that job and people don't lose that job and they hold on to them for life because they're so bloody easy. So what a great thing to you know, jam something in the, in the wheels because they're, they're really so used to such a sort of zombied life. And um, if I can just bring up my own example of it, it was after seeing the Glastonbury 
Actually, was it after seeing the council meeting? I don't know. But at my market that I go to, the Lib Dems have a stall because I live in the seat that very recently changed to to Lib Dem because they targeted all their advertising. I mean, this doesn't even hit our field of consciousness, but there is still actually a world where the Lib Dems, if they can get a seat on, um, it was on HS2, but it's quite sad because it's, total virtue signaling but it's something that everyone agrees on no one wants hs2 but anyway the lib dems have just moved in here and so they're out in the market and i went up to them and said well i've spent the last year interviewing people that have been injured or bereaved by the vaccine as you know labor haven't done anything about this and they're the official opposition we don't have a robust democracy if we don't have an opposition uh I'm at your stall right now. And they just did, you know, they'd never come across any of this. And they're like, oh, really? Have you tried sending your stories anyway? I'm like, yeah, no one will take them. Um, And it was a really, it was a very easy conversation for me to have because I'm so used to it. So it, I feel ready and I feel like anyone who's going to be consuming this content, you're, you're armed with everything that you need. Yeah. Also, I think, you know, seeing um, the Lib Dems fighting for a seat, battling for a seat and thinking that's a bit odd. It's not really. Parties get a good sum of money for every MP that they get in. The party gets some. So that's as well as I can't remember what it is, £11,000 or something, but it's way more than most of the minor parties annual um, budget, uh, annual turnover, if you like. So it's a it's a big sum. Um, And so if you've got a few hundred MPs, you've got a massive pot of money from the from the taxpayer straight to the party. Now, that's not the politician's salary. That's different. OK, so they have that. They have this big pot of money. They get so much per 200 votes. I can't remember how much it is. I should have looked at this up before I came on. But I didn't know I was going to go down this rabbit hole. Uh, something like £33 per 200 votes. So again, a massive number that, uh, that you can accumulate if you've got an MP in Parliament. So it's a bit of a cash cow for the party. It's well worth them getting it. And that's on top of having an MP there with a media platform, free advertising for everything they do, um, free access to um, all the resources in Westminster, uh, national news, all the rest of it. So they don't really have to spend an awful lot on advertising anyway if they don't want to because they have this um, facility. So. Yeah, on top. So on top of all the MPs' expenses, the party gets a good sum for every MP, and uh, for every so many, uh, so many hundred votes, two hundred votes, I think it is that they get. So well worth it. Yeah, it's a big incentive for the big parties to keep going with that. Well, I've got a particular interest in any of these seats that have recently changed. Right, any weak seats are surely really, really fertile ground. Like anywhere that was in that red wall that got demolished um i suppose everywhere is fertile though because as we've seen you know everywhere yeah i'm not sure really is it better to go for one that's like uh, that's always been tory because they'll never ever 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 vote labor (laughs) do you see what i mean but they can't bear to vote tory anymore i'm not sure i mean in this constituency we could put a stuffed monkey in a blue rosette and they would win um that's just Lynn, when you say that, our local MP, Ben Bradley, in Mansfield, he was the first ever non-Labour person that was elected in 2017. So ever since elections were allowing the working man and 
people and women to vote, I presume, um, since the Labour Party came in, we had never gone away from Labour. And he, I don't think he really expected to get in, but he did because they've brought enough people into the area through new house building and things like that and bringing um, students in um, supposedly as a new sort of uh, rejuvenating, but it hasn't rejuvenated Mansfield. And they deliberately brought more people in that are likely to vote for Conservative. And so we finally got a Conservative guy in who has never lived in Mansfield. The nearest he lived was Ripley in Derbyshire, which is a few miles away. And now he doesn't even live in Mansfield and District. He lives next to Newark uh, Railway Station so he can catch the train to go to London. And also, since then, he's become the leader of the Nottinghamshire County Council. And he was even going to go for the Mayor of um, Mansfield and District candidacy. But he finally realised that he mustn't do that. So he's got his sidestep to do that. And that sidestep has now said, and we don't really need a mayor, so I'll do it for four years if you vote me in, and then we'll get rid of it because it's £60,000 a year that we shouldn't be spending of your money. But when you think of £11,000 per member getting in anyway, it's just such a load of rubbish. But people still a seeming believe in it. I I do think though, Nick, that um, in twenty twenty four, which is the next general election, the Conservative Party have got absolutely no chance of getting in, and they know it. So they are having to bulldoze through the World Economic Forum agenda, and they know they've only they've literally only got you know less than two years now to do it. And it was so interesting to watch what happened when Liz Truss was uh, voted in by the party as the prime minister <clears throat> and the powers that be that control the financial markets basically just crashed the markets and, and forced her out because they wanted their man in, Rishi Sunak. So, <clears throat> so I do feel that there is this this acceleration of the programme with the central bank digital mm. currencies I had the yeah. same. I, I had to dart out earlier and grab a glass of water yeah. and very, very kindly covered for me. But um, yeah, I didn't realise that it was that. I kind of thought that the Liz Trust premiership was um, was a very clever psyop to make the <laughs> populace uh, believe that low taxation is a bad and stupid idea because the guy... It, it might, well, she might have taken one for the team. I, that that was my take. Uh, I sort of thought she'd taken one for the team as well, and just um, basically uh, because now they're doing exactly what she was going to do anyway. Hmm. So um, yeah, that that was how I saw it. Just that she was um, a full guy to allow them to bring in the next one without him having the opposition because he would seem better relative to or more in control relative to Liz Truss. Um, yeah, but I, I, the the thing is that the national government are basically trying to um, bring in the WEF agenda without actually being seen to do so. Hence, the local governments being being given the job, I suppose, of bringing in the fifteen minute cities and all the unpopular things that they haven't wanted. I mean, they tried it. They tried it as well with COVID when they wanted to bring in this tyranny. They were getting the um, 
businesses to impose the restrictions rather than do it themselves. I thought, oh no, it's not a government restriction, but everybody else, everyone everywhere has got to wear masks and everyone everywhere has got to show their passports else they're not coming in. So they were getting other people to do their dirty work then mm. and they're getting them to do it and they're getting the local councils to be the villains now with the 15 minute cities and it's um so they can sit there going oh well you know local decisions can't interfere <laughs> and, and and they're also trying to get the who pandemic um treaty through and then the next time that they want want to impose a um a virus on us they won't get blamed for that either because that'll be a decision from the who so it's like oh well we can't you know we've national um international treaties blah blah so all about getting rid of um accountable responsibility so uh the bit the bit of government that's left actually the bit that we vote for doesn't actually do anything <laughs> it's all delegated to someone else you know that's uh pretty much how it is and the more um, opaque they can make it the better um, they basically try and hide it hide that who does what you find it in schools you know well who looks after who um, records the suicides in schools oh well um, it goes on a report somewhere um, and uh, Ofsted might see it and Ofsted come in and go oh issue resolved and that gets lost and then there might be a police file here and something there but nobody to actually hold this school to account that has this high suicide rate or whatever uh so yeah all all fudged mashed made opaque smoke and mirrors yeah so we can't get to any answers sorry julie this is deliberately done and i've known it to, to happen with the building that's happening locally as well and i know it's not just local but i only know about the local properly and building developers then go bust or set up a new company and then they're doing something and then they go bust or something and set up a new company and they do it deliberately apparently so that the council cannot follow um what that company has done and then when things go wrong with the buildings they can't actually take the person and the um, company into account for what has gone wrong and I know through a local building development that happened here, um, they weren't even having the proper checks done regularly that they would normally do. And yet I know when I was having some work done at home, oh, we have, have to stop. They've got to come and inspect it and give us approval to move on. Oh, and then they go. And then I find out that where my mum and dad moved to live when I was five, they were supposed to be doing a sort of community development area on the next sort of street that never happened it just got built on and that's what they've continued to do and I'm saying to my mum well why did you allow that to happen oh, oh well we were busy with and she'd got five children so I can understand they've got busy lives both of them working but nobody is being there to properly stand up and say well let's have this check pro properly checked why are you getting these individual houses to have to jump so many hoops when you're not really getting these building developers that are building great big estates to do them properly and to provide the community facilities that they're supposed to be doing? Mm -hmm. And it, it's like closing down all the youth clubs and things like that. They've deliberately taken away communities. That's definitely been a part of the agenda is to break up communities. I think we see that 
on so many levels. Um, and I mean, the whole immigration thing, I think is one of them. They're calling it immigration. I think it's basically it's population, sort of um, organized population relocations and it breaks up the populate it breaks up the communities where they're coming from where the people are coming from and it um makes the communities that they're put into uh unable to cope makes them more fearful the services aren't there um so both communities are weakened and that's been the an agenda if we go back for oh several several decades i would think the, the Television is one of the things that, you know, keep people in their house glued to a goggle box. Um, also, you know, closing down various pubs. That's been a big part of it, I think. And obviously getting rid of churches. That was quite an early one. Um, I'm not religious myself, but they were a focal point of the community. Even mm -hmm. if you weren't religious, people go there for funerals or weddings or, um, you know, Christmas services or something, even Christmas parties. And a whole load of things have, have gone. I mean, um, it because partly it's partly it's been um, just taxing the hell out of them and making them unable to run. Partly it's been um, dissing uh, religion, just completely discrediting it. And there's also been a massive amount of regulation, which has made it very, very difficult for anybody to volunteer to do anything. It's just not worth people working with kids anymore. Um, mm -hmm. Because well, by the time you've done all the forms and you've um, got all the compliance and you've done the risk assessments, you, there's just no joy left in it. <laughs> also, you know, I was at a meeting last night from a local Friends of Burial Park that I've helped to save from being built on. And they were talking with the uh, guy from the council about needing insurance for volunteers. And so why can't the volunteers be covered by the insurance of the council who are corporate trustees and it, and we were having discussion and yes he is going to go away and check for us to see if that is possible but it just seems crazy that you know why not oh you know we can go in there we can walk dogs and stuff like that and we don't have to have insurance to get in there but it's like if you're planting a bit of a tree or something or some crocuses oh we've got to have you all insured and we've got to do all this paperwork and Who's really benefiting from it? You're reminding me, Julie, of we did a, an event for you in Mansfield Town Centre to promote you standing as mayor of Mansfield. And we know we we let the police know, didn't we? And then the local council sent you a, a letter saying, where's your public liability insurance? And it was just like, like this is our right under common law. It's a very famous trial, the trial of William Penn. Um, who went on to found Pennsylvania and he was that was the time when the monarch was making rules about you couldn't meet it was very similar to lockdown you couldn't you couldn't meet in a gathering of more than uh, six people to to talk about religion it was against the law the king had passed a law and William Penn stood up for his common law rights and it was a very one of the most famous common law trial by juries and it just reminded me when Julie got that. It was just like saying to the council, no, it's our right to speak in public. Yeah, and what actually happened, I emailed the council and the police at the same time, so they both saw that they'd been contacted. The police uh, notified me back by email, right, thank you, we've let them know, the local police, 
And then the council emailed me back and said that they were attaching a form that they hadn't attached, told me, you know, have you got the insurance? And also that you need to go to the rear of the part of the marketplace. So I emailed them back and said, well, you didn't send me a form. And also, where do you class as the rear of the marketplace so that we know where we need to go? And actually, oh, and they, they were trying to say that don't be detrimental to the local businesses. So I said, well, if anything, we're getting more people coming in. So hopefully that will boost the businesses. And so that's where we're coming from. And actually, do you realise what you've done as a council, not allowing someone to leave their caravan that had been there for hot food for years and then they started having to take the caravan off every night. So the people said, well, if we've got to take it off every night, we won't continue being on Mansfield Marketplace. And so the council said, yeah, that's it. You'll have to go then. And so they went. So let an, yet another who'd been there for at least a decade aren't on the marketplace. I think the really important point about all of this, because I'm, I'm very much into common law and having really looked into it, this is the thing that people don't realize is that we, the people, own those places. We own the town hall. We own the marketplace. You know, we own the local parks. They don't belong to the council or the local authority. We appoint those authorities to manage them, but they don't rule them and they don't own them. They don't have the right to stop us being on that land because it, it belongs to the people. And I think that we've got so tied up that the authorities are the gods and that we have to comply. And I think that this is one of the biggest um, biggest mind control programs is that the, the authorities are this all powerful um, entities where we have to obey. And that is a, a massive thing for us to realize that they they have they only have authority if we consent to it. So mm. this is hugely important to, uh, you know, we do not consent. We do not consent to these laws, you know, these 15 minute cities, these digital programs. And I would say that people don't realize they're consenting. So we use that term now and I'm getting more used to that and it's as if we've got to sort of do something to realize that we're consenting but most people are so oblivious to it that they don't realize the way they are behaving and having imposed on them is in effect a consent and that is what they don't have to do and it's a bit like, I mean, we were talking earlier about different qualifications and things like that. I left mainstream teaching and I went to a local family centre wanting to work with children there. So I am a qualified teacher with education and psychology honours degree plus PGCE in lower primary, not higher pri primary or anything secondary, lower primary. I was told I needed a city and guilds in childcare. So I went to the uh, local college and said, I need a city and guilds in childcare. They actually said to me, Julie, will you teach it for us, please? And I ended up teaching the qualification that I needed. I mean, how crazy is that? Um, at least one of the, the teenagers that I was 
teaching. He was 19 and luckily I'd done special needs coordination by then, teaching and assessing specific learning difficulties, including dyslexia. I got this 19-year-old diagnosed as dyslexic and dyspraxic because I could see that was happening for him. He was learning alongside the children that he was supposed to be childcaring. This is the crazy system we've got. Yeah, and it needs to change. And we need to stop these prison-like schools and we need to, you know, a gardening club should not have to be after school. Gardening should be part of their basics in every year. First aid should be part of their basics and not in a pharmaceutical way, but teaching them recovery position. If someone's collapsed, looking to see if there's any electrical um, electricity things happening around and then, you know, just move them with plastic or something like that. But they're not taught that. Thank goodness children that I've taught have been taught that sort of thing. The basics for life. Exactly. It's just about being people. It's just about being people and not machines and not corporations. And for quite a long time now, we've been treated, we have been treated and a lot of us have gone along with it without unwittingly gone along with it, um, been treated like, um, like we're things, not people. So um, <laughs> we're told, oh, you haven't got this bit of paper, like we haven't got a label on that says this, that and the other, or we haven't got this machine parts that stops the fuse blowing or whatever and we've been treated like that you haven't got this computer says no uh, you haven't got that you've got to get got to get that um just um absolutely ridiculous that uh, you know julie ha had to go and get a qualification that she had to pretty much teach herself <laughs> because of because she was more qualified than anyone else and no but nobody at uh I literally didn't even need to get that qualification. I was literally teaching the qualification that they told me I needed. It's just crazy. absolutely crazy. And no no person came along and said, this, this woman, this woman is more than capable. She's shown it in so many ways. They just went, oh, City and Guild's bit of paper, you know, hasn't got the label, mm. you know, no, just go away. It's just absolutely mad so yeah it's, it's about um just getting back to being um being people being the men and women that we are and not being not for not letting ourselves be treated like um like cattle or like machines or like um corporations which is how we've been um it's so much easier for governments and well anybody to treat you badly if they don't see you as a person, as a man or a woman. It's much easier for them to, uh, if you're a, a thing, an entity, for them to treat you in an un, in a uncompassionate and an uncaring, um, you know, in a way and put you in a box and not bother about you. And there has been a massive effort to do that, massive effort. For qualifications that people get don't mean that they're actually actually proficient in them and I mean I know of someone who she'd had to retake a GCSE English language for years and finally passed it and then because she wanted to become a teacher to do the teacher training and this is very recent within the last five years she then had to do an additional English thing 
um, to be allowed to do that um, degree. And then in her final year of the degree, she was diagnosed as dyslexic. And yet she'd been in that education um, establishment, training to be a teacher. And actually, why aren't we allowing people to learn in different ways and not have mm -hmm. to do these ridiculous qualifications and degree level nursing? I was talking to someone recently about degree level nursing, and they were telling me spontaneously that once that came in, the nurses actually became less caring and compassionate and were more like, I can do the paperwork, but oh, could you go and actually see to the person? Because I don't know what I'm doing. And yeah, they've got a degree in it. I think everyone noticed that, actually, that, um, I mean, there, it is completely ridiculous to have um, a degree in nursing. That's that's entirely not what they need. Um, I think we all know what we want in a nurse, don't we? We want someone who is going to actually care, be compassionate, spot if you're not feeling, if you're not great, spot if you're deteriorated, just actually just basic people skills and being able to, you know, keep you comfortable it, this is all very basic stuff and i i certainly noticed it myself that once the degree level came in it's like yeah you can tick the boxes and tick boxes all the time but you're stood talking at a desk and not looking after the patients so it's just so basic such common sense <laughs> apparently when um doctors and midwives were working with pregnant women and labor and birth the midwives realised that they needed to change their um, clothing and wash and things in between different births. But the doctors loved to have the blood splattered all over their clothes and they were causing more infections to carry on. So the women that were actually the richer one that had got the doctors doing it, there were more of them dying than the ones that were genuinely looked after by the midwives because they realised the cleanliness we needed. Sorry, Rachel, I'll let you talk now. Oh, no, I, I was just going to say that um, I, I attended one of the Freedom Movement talks where um, a, a nurse uh, was actually sharing some of the, the protocols, the COVID protocols that, that they had to operate to in the hospitals during that whole era absolutely shocking these like forms these huge forms of tick boxes and if you tick this then go to this and then you ha have to follow these these protocols and it's the protocols that killed the people and this is the it's just this insane system and of course the more that people are using are just in their left brain working through uh, robotically working through a protocol they're not they're not using their intuition they're not in their heart they've they've closed off their soul and and their kind of common sense and it's kind of well this is what the protocol says and i have to follow it as opposed to allowing allowing nurses doctors and nurses to use their natural instincts and to do what is right for the patient it's quite shocking what is happening the levels of control command and control which are happening in the the nhs Right, well, as a patient and public voice since 2010, I'm carrying on involvement with that role. And at the moment, I'm really having to step up. And every time I mention complementary therapies with an E, not an I, so we are complementing as in completing, not just adding a complement. And, oh, isn't that nice? And 
they they really go into fear with it. And I'm really having to stand up and say, look, do you realise that these are actually predate a lot of allopathic and pharmaceuticals for some of them, not all of them, some complementary therapies are, are more new, but also things like the willow trees. People used to put patients underneath a willow tree because they realised that that would be beneficial for them. Aspirin is actually derives from the willow tree. But what they've done is they've taken the active ingredients and they've not realised the whole. So then they end up having to give them something else for the side effects. And I keep saying this to them and still they're trying to tell me, oh, we need the nice guidelines. And I said, well, what I found is that the nice isn't very nice. And I actually did a load of input um, for something to do with breast cancer years ago. And I went down to London to the meeting, got to the meeting, and they started off saying, well, anything that hasn't got gold standard clinical trials, we've not even looked at. And I'm like, I cannot believe you're telling us that. I mean, I think we have to take some responsibility here. I think as a population, I mean, as a, as a, um, a race even, or a country, uh, but, a lot of people do like the tick box thing. It lets them off the hook. It's a lot easier if you can go in and do your job and not have to think, um, oh, I have this problem. What shall I do? You know, I've got this child who can't do this. What shall I do? If you've worked through and you've ticked the boxes, you've done your job and it doesn't really matter what the outcome is for that child. You've exactly. in, the old, in the old system, you know, when in when you had professionalism and when you had sort of a duty, when you thought of your job as being um, uh, in a holistic way, as in to say help that child, you would have failed. You would have considered yourself failed, and you would have tried to something else, and you would have gone and found resources, and you would have done this. But now with the tick box, you don't have to do that. It's like I've done my job. I've ticked this, 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 and this, and you are covered. Your butt, your backside is covered <laughs> and there's a lot of arse covering excuse my French but there is and it it's um you know have you got this bit of paper have you done the risk assessment uh, oh well you know if the child's hurt and you've done the risk assessment well phew <laughs> but it's just um you know a, like a very um I'll say the word dehumanizing I know that gets me in trouble with common law but it's a dehumanizing process and it, that's what it's been about all the time all along so um, I tried to help the nice people with the COVID guidelines because I ended up reading it. And um, at one bit, they say something about um, if somebody's coughing, don't let them lie down. Uh, that tends to make it worse, but they don't give any suggestion as to what to do. And I know through some of my life experiences, being propped up sitting or possibly even having to lean forwards, and might not even be able to be in bed because I've experienced someone having to go through that. And so I suggested that to them. And then they've also put something about a teaspoon of honey would be really good. They don't say a teaspoon of local honey because if it's imported honey, they've had to boil it and actually that gets rid of a lot of the therapeutic processes from it. And also if you put it in water and perhaps even with a drop of whiskey or brandy, it can be more effective. And so I did, I think I actually did include the whiskey and brandy because I was so fed up with them. But 
<laughs> and I did definitely say the local honey, but they're, they're not trying to do things properly and they've not come back and updated it at all. So they're not telling people what to do. They're sort of trying to say, don't do this, but they're also not doing that in a really therapeutic way. So it's a load of rubbish. Well, my my favourite of the COVID uh, protocols or COVID warnings was stay alert. Because <laughs> <laughs> remember, that was, that, that was absolutely everywhere. It said stay alert and then there was two below it. And I just, for what? For what? <laughs> for everyone and invisibleness and yeah, yeah so so it's bonkers um what what I did sorry Rachel you wanted to say something first and then I've got a question well I, I was just going to say that we don't you know what we really need let's focus on what we do want what we really need is a natural healing service because there is nothing about the NHS or big pharma that is about healing it's all about treating sickness and of course there's no profit in big pharma making people well and so you know we've got a system where like a, a health a health system which is just completely driven by the big pharma and of course now they've got this mrna technology we're talking about this on the people speak out it's like making things making it seem like everything's a, a genetic problem because of course then you can say oh well we've come up with an injection for that an mrna injection that will get rid of your cancer or, or it will treat your adhd or you know and so this is a very very dangerous situation because big pharmaceutical they know that how much money they can make through this this insanity that they have this frankenstein's monster of this, this treatment that they have created and they are just going to push this home and have a jab for everything it's actually really really frightening it mm. is and the nhs i think we all loved the nhs didn't we pre-covid oh i mean i well some of us so i i mean i had reason to be grateful for them at one point um you know i saved my brother's life um, well, kept him. Let me say they kept him alive. They maintained life until he could heal, which he wouldn't have been able to do. Um, so, and there's no money in the world that would have bought that level of care. But that was over. That was like 20 years ago. But coming up to date now, I was quite shocked. Um, and the NHS, it was. It became very apparent that the NHS was basically this giant funnel for our money to go to Bill Gates and Co. So. We pay our taxes and the NHS buys the drugs, billions of pounds worth of drugs, and it goes straight to um, Pfizer, which basically goes to Bill Gates. But I mean, you know, insert name of billionaire psychopath here, but whoever <laughs> it was, <laughs> whoever it is, that was pretty much it. So, um, yeah, it's just become this big funnel and it's very, it's really sad. And we, I know, so when I see people stood, when I saw people stood there clapping, I was just like, oh God, you know, <laughs> they really haven't seen any, haven't seen what's going on. You know, there's going to be a jab. There's going to be, of course there was. Um, and it's going to be funneling loads of our money to these people. I mean, I can't remember overall, I think, was it a trillion pounds that went from us to these billionaires? Not, not all through the NHS. Some went through big tech, um, like, phone apps and silly things like that and um 
some went through uh, I can't remember what it was but computers and all that sort of technology stuff um but basically during lockdown a trillion pounds of our money was transferred to this tiny number of megalomaniacs but also our care home system it I think it was genuinely a caring home but then as GPs seemed to be paid more and started taking them over and someone was talking to me today about um, two people who'd set up some care homes um, locally and apparently they fell out and so and they were making loads and loads of money I'm talking millions and so um, one of them left having been paid off and the other one that carried on um, the one that left wasn't allowed to set up for another two years but the one that was um, staying he was earning loads and you could tell because of everything he was uh, having as, as properties and things like that and then the new person set up after two years and started earning loads and yet they've got the carers on minimal wage unpredictable hours and dire um, so that they can't be part of the community and must be in a significant, not easy state to even be proper carers. I mean, when it comes to overall health, I had a sort of a realisation recently, which was, ah, I mean, we don't, as a human race, we don't manifest anything unless we deserve it, essentially. And um, and I had this realisation about GPs, which is like, well, well, we we lived in a society where basically the expectation was, oh, I don't really know this thing that I walk around in all day. If something's wrong with it, I'll go to that guy, the local body fixer, which is called the GP, who's supposed to know everything about this thing, which is you, which is just a preposterous suggestion. Absolutely. How could someone else know more about you than you? You're walking around in you and your body... I mean, I'm, I get really, really deep on learning about this stuff now, but your body is like the greatest instrument ever created by God for perceiving reality. And it's really, really good at telling you what's going on. So, um, yeah. and, and that guy is not going to be able to, to figure that out. So we did, I think we did this to ourselves. Um, but I, what I really wanted to ask you guys was about these various um, professions that we've we've touched on such as nursing the police teachers where the empathy just seems to have been eroded do you think this has happened at the selection process or what do you think's gone on here because yeah all of this all these public sector jobs if they were stacked with good-hearted people then would all of this have happened or would it have even been allowed to happen so I actually know someone who had to leave the police force quite a few years ago because he wasn't doing enough people, as in getting them convicted. And he would tend to find someone who was drunk or something and he'd stand up and point them in the direction of the home. And, and he was actually, well, they said to him, could you actually stay until the end of the football season? Because he was a really good footballer. But then we needed to leave. So then he chose to leave. But... Yeah, crazy world. Anyway, I think Lynn wanted to say something. Well, I think there is a... Um, I'm not sure it's at the selection stage. I mean, I, I think a lot of people go in with very good intentions. Um, I A lot of it, for me, comes down to... Um, the, uh, well, 
partly the tick box mentality. Um, and, you know, you tick the boxes and you get promoted or you tick your boxes and you get your extra money. But a lot of it is down to debt slavery, I think, that um, we have these these people are, and a lot of us are, uh, dependent on um, debt for our homes. So there's a lot of people protecting a five and six figure salary. So if they speak out, especially, uh, so we definitely saw it in COVID, but if they spoke out, they were risking their salary, which they needed to pay off their mortgage. And they, they really, you know, so they kept their heads down and they just did what they were told and they hoped somebody else would deal with it because they, if they, you know, put their head above the parapet, their family were at risk. And that's a massive thing. And the banks have got people into massive debt slavery. I mean, if you think about the 1950s, for example, um, we had people living on in a house, a good size house with a car, kids going to good schools they had week everyone had weekends together and free um they were able to have a holiday um, a year or something like that and they were able to go out um, and enjoy the pub or and get together and have a proper di dinner on a sunday and free meals a day and all the rest of it and they uh, were able to do that on one salary if they needed a salary at all they need that they were able to do that on one full-time um, job and then you fast forward a bit and mortgages have um, become much more common and Nigel Lawson removed the, um, the the limit that you could borrow well raised it so that you could borrow several times your salary instead of just three I think it used to be but and then it became much more and of course what that does is push up the price of houses so what happens then is you now need two people to work. So then we have something that uh, is quite destructive for the family unit. We now do not have one person who can stay and look after kids and who can stay. It doesn't matter which, which one it is, but there is not this one central figure anymore that can stay and look after the home, keep it all run, ticking over nicely, look after the kids and make sure that the whole family is, um, you know, moving in the right direction and is happy. So, uh, now you've got two families, two people having to work full time to maintain the same lifestyle. Do you see? <laughs> and so uh, and then it just becomes um, it, it becomes just a sort of self-fulfilling. Uh, and also increasing circle of debts. So more and more. The, and they can't escape it. It's, you know, because um, they need to take on more debt to buy the next thing or the next car or get through the divorce or whatever and you have these people who are never going to get out of debt and who need to service the debt so they'll pretty much do what it takes to stay in the job but within that they give them them childcare benefits if we call mm. that and the child carers often don't really know what they're doing are paid minimal and you know, not easy working conditions, et cetera, et cetera. But why aren't we giving a stay-at-home parent? Doesn't have to be the mother, might need to be the father, but we need a stay-at-home parent. And I know I was a stay-at-home parent. Okay, I was doing an open university degree at the same time, but I was really criticized. Nobody supported me in that role at all. And I was sort of, you know, I ended up leading the parents group at my 
um, children's school, ended up being a school governor at both of their follow-on schools. So I couldn't have done that if I was also working elsewhere. And, and yet I was never told that I was doing the right thing. I was, you know, why aren't you out working? It's like, well, this is what? it. But this is it. Make sure that people have to stay, have to go out to work so that they don't have time to do exactly this, to actually be active in the communities, to make sure their kids are doing, uh, being brought up right, that they are having a good education. It's been very much about, that's another aspect of breaking up communities, breaking up families, isn't it? And also have time. empowering the children in their local communities. Mm. So, I mean, I could oversee my kids. They didn't know I was watching what they were doing and overseeing and that certain things I'd let them get away with. But then they knew if they were doing something that wasn't appropriate. But I made sure that they were safe and learned about life. And that's what they're not allowed these days. I think Rachel wanted to say something. Oh, yeah, I was just going to say another sort of mind program, which was very much installed. I remember back in the, the 1970s, 1980s, this superwoman, this sort of archetypal superwoman where uh, it was just not fashionable. Like that, that, that just wasn't a career choice to be a mother. It was, as Julie said, it was kind of like this sort of derisory. The, why would I want to stay at home and look after the kids? I want to be a... Uh, you know, I want to be the prime minister, you know, I want to be like Margaret Thatcher or whoever, you know, but um, this is the thing is that now, I mean, I, I've got five sons and now when I look back and, and having got a lot more awareness now, I realise how important the role of the mother is in our society. And so, and, and I also understand about childhood developmental trauma and attachment, you know, of how important attachment is so if you take a child away from its mother too early and you give it to some kind of 19-year-old girl who's totally not experienced, it's it, it's very trauma, traumatic for the child. And so what we have now is a, a huge number of highly traumatized people who are easy to easily triggered into fight, flight, freeze response. We have all of these kind of persecutor victim rescuer drama triangles playing out and people's window of tolerance is getting narrower and narrower because their nervous system is so agitated and everything is being, it's almost as if it's being done deliberately to create highly traumatized people who are easy to trigger into fight flight because it's when people are in the reptilian brain, their frontal cortex closes down and they're easy to herd. And it's easy to use fear because and then people lose their ability to have rational thought. So this is, it feels to me that it's been done very, very deliberately. And also war is a huge thing. War, the trauma that's created by war that then cascades down through families. So trauma healing and pattern interrupting and and healing of the nervous system, all of these things are super important to create a well-rounded society that is not constantly in fight flight. You're absolutely right. It has been completely deliberate. We've had crisis after crisis and they've all been manufactured by the same bunch of <laughs> megalomaniacs. So, I mean, but what I take heart from is that actually we, for a start, we see them now. 
we see you <laughs> we know who, you know we can see exactly what you're doing but they've basically given us one crisis per decade and it's been very methodical um you know they've done it in a true narcissistic style very methodical one crisis per decade for quite a long time to keep us uh, on our toes keep us in a state of stress it's like oh cold war what if there's a nuclear bomb and keep everybody on the edge of the seats a little bit so and yeah you're easy to control and i think they thought they got it with covid i think they thought this is it this is where we can actually take over everybody and um and it i to, for me it was horrifying i thought my god there's been so much compliance everybody's fallen for this um, but for them i think it was like oh we're nearly there but we're not quite you see um we'll we'll just have one more we'll just have monkeypox and just tip them over the edge and everyone went you what <laughs> And so, and then we sort of found, and then it sort of became like a narcissist losing control, didn't it? Um, who, who suddenly like, oh God, got to try and get your victim back. Got to try and get get control of the victim again, quick. Um, uh, do Ukraine, do Ukraine, you know? Oh, oh, um, they're laughing at us. Uh, right, okay. Um, well, try COVID again. COVID worked well, let's do it. And everyone just said, yeah, I'll pull the other one with the bells on, you know? Um, and, then, <laughs> and then it was like, oh, oh, climate change climate change we're all going to die because of climate change you know everything everyone's going to die because of climate change um okay not working not working um quick what should we have weather balloons aliens <laughs> and it's just that's <laughs> covid again <laughs> so it's 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 like watching someone you know this narcissist who have now overexposed themselves losing control of their victims and i think they're they have done in a big way so that's what i take heart from um but and the other thing i take heart from is that we've got so sorry that we've got um the, the the means for rebellion now are so easy it's like all we have to do is get out of fear and into love and that is rebellion enjoying ourselves is rebellion having fun raising our vibration by singing dancing um building communities all the things that we like doing anyway growing our own vegetables and collecting the seed and growing them again next year without having to buy them. That's my latest thing, you know, <laughs> looking after our chickens and all these things um, that we have not done, you know, that we've probably not done for a while. Switching off the TV. All these things are little acts of rebellion and they're all, all there going, yeah, go away. We don't need you anymore. <laughs> we don't want you. We can do things ourselves. And I'm going to, you know, I am going to run my own generator that is water powered because I can and just things like that. And I think a lot of people are starting to really take that on board now and really look after themselves. And that's just I think that's just brilliant. And in, if that comes off, we will see this as being a massive favor um, to get us back to being proper people and not these machines. So I think it's a really optimistic time, actually. <laughs> I think it is optimistic, but also I think people complied even more than the actually government and people thought they would do. And then I think they sort of pushed and pushed and pushed even further. But even two weeks ago, I heard of a local care home that had closed supposedly because of COVID and norovirus. And it's like, why are you doing that? And I still saw somebody and it was a young person um, wearing a mask yesterday and so people are still complying some but, are yeah. there are people who've had this massive psyops um but every time that they push every time they try with a, a new crisis and a, and a new silly law 
a few, you know, more people wake up, more people go, you what? Actually, this is silly. <laughs> and that's why we need to keep voicing and keep yeah. standing up. And that's why I'm putting myself forwards and yeah. other people are. And thank goodness we are. Yeah. Keep showing good. Keep showing a good life. I think, you know, I can't remember who said it, but basically the way to um, change the world is to have a bigger party than the bastards destroying it. So, you know, <laughs> and that's what we do. Get out there. Show people what life looks like when you're not watching the news going, oh, isn't it terrible about the Ukraine? And when you're not sat doing that <laughs> and you get you actually look out the window, and go, God, it's a lovely day. Oh, and they're so and so. I haven't seen them for ages. I've got to have a word. And when you're doing that, instead of sat there going, oh, in front of the telly, life is so much better. And when people, so the more people see this norm, what I'm going to call normality, because it is normal over the whole um, existence of humanity, is to be in this very happy, uh, sociable state, or at least a pretty good state. And, and looking after yourself. The more we see that, the more people are going to look at what the government is doing and going, what a pile of... That's where even this terminology of liberation, opportunity, vitality, empowerment, you know, when I say that to people, uh, I said it to a 17-year-old and he immediately said love. And he was on that, you know, that is where we are. And it's this anything that is not love is what we don't need. We just need love and it's grounded, it's practical. We are here, we're not being airy-fairy, but we know we're spiritual beings and, and that's where we are. And we need to get to our hearts and our gut instincts rather than to the fear. And the more- This is where the science is now, isn't it? I mean, science is um, shows. I, mean, let's, I know they keep saying, follow the science, like some sort of, but actually the science now, shows how big your heart energy field is. It can measure it, you know? It's not just here, it's not in there, it's not just a pump, it's a transmitter and a receiver of energy. Um, it's much bigger than the head in that sense. The Heart Math Institute has done wonderful work over you know, the last three decades or so, no, more than that now, since the 70s, has been measuring the heart field and how it responds and so when, you, when you're in love, when you feel love and happiness, the, the field is very coherent. It's a lovely shape. And when you're in fear, it's contracted and it's all incoherent. So this is where the science is. The science is showing that we are connected to everybody. And it's showing that we want to be high vibrational beings and, um, you know, live in, in love. Sorry, you were saying you were going to say uh, something. This would be my observation about the party name is being called the Love Party. It's pretty pretty on the nose. It's the main central message of um, pretty much anyone worth listening to. Um, and I imagine it will be remarkably triggering to people that haven't resolved some stuff in them. They'll look at that and go. Oh my God, what's that about, right? Um, because I, I believe that a lot of the issues that have been placed on us have, have often been, it's just a test. Are you willing to look at your own shadow? So a great one is Donald Trump is a racist. Oh, well, I don't want to get called a racist. He's a racist. Well, okay, what, what's he actually said? Am I willing to actually go in there and look at my own shadow? That's all it, all it was, was a test of that kind of stuff. Um, 
And what I was going to say to Julie, you were talking about people still walking around wearing masks and like, yeah, they're there. They're, they're you know, bought and, bought and paid for. Um, you must have come across the idea that humanity is bifurcating and it's in this split. Um, and that's what we're seeing right now. And to be honest, my time among sleeping sheeple is so limited at this point it's really really minor basically my interaction with the matrix if you want to call it that is popping into a supermarket that's about as bad as it gets um other than that i'm spending all my time talking to people that are uh i guess trying to increase their awareness basically you've either decided right i've got to look into this stuff or nope i'm not going to look into this stuff i'm going to have my decisions made for me and um and so we've all we've all gathered around this and i i feel like there's an inevitability to all of this unraveling rachel yeah i was just gonna pay tribute to lynn and julie because they are the true high vibe <laughs> women and and i quite often i can kind of go into this place of of like going down that rabbit hole and, I, and it's been very noticeable since being part of the love party and, and being um, around the energy of Julie and Lynn is that they're constantly pulling me out like, no, come back to the light, come back to the light. And, and what I'm noticing is that I'm just spending so much less time in consuming negative content because we all know what the problem is. So now... I, I truly feel that we have to be focused on the solution. It's funny because someone invited me to a, a freedom movement event the other night and and it was it was great to get out and meet people, but it was noticeable that all of the conversation was about the problem, the problem, the problem. And I'm so used to now being around people who are who are absolutely focused on solutions and even just things like mantras and singing and 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 just visioning and um co-creating and being on the land and being in nature it's just so liberating to not be in as you say in the false matrix and to be consumed by it because it will it will it is dragging people down 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 and it's deliberately doing that because the Watiko needs to be fed. And it's like loosh. There's a lot of content being pumped out now to create this loosh, which the Watiko feeds on. So, so it's so important. important for us to, to keep the, in that light. Absolutely, to be the light. I mean, you know, I keep, I one of my, my mantras, I suppose, is if you don't believe in miracles, you're not a realist because they happen. And so yeah, they just happen. Now, um, another part of the science, for example, that we can we should be playing on. Joe Dispenza has um, he deals with. I'm sure you you probably all know. Um, he was very interested in spontaneous healing and has done loads of scientific measurements on people um, spontaneously healing and found it's nothing of the sort. It's all about what they've done is they've raised their vibration. So it's what happens in spiritual churches when people go, hallelujah, I'm cured and walk out um, and that sort of thing. So this, this is nothing to do with woo-woo or anything like that. These are scientifically measured things, but the whole brain lights up 
when you're about to go into healing because you've raised your energy and energy changing matter is a lot faster than matter changing matter. So drugs trying to take away a tumor are extremely slow if it ever works. Yes. Um, but energy, you know, you can change it in an instant and people go back to their doctor and they go, there's nothing there. What happened? And and it's just gone oh it spontaneously healed no it didn't these people did the work they did the energy work they got themselves into a high vibration one man cured him i can't remember his name cured himself by laughing just by watching endless comedies so that he was constantly in this high vibration it yes it sometimes takes some energy you know there's a price to pay you have to get happy <laughs> it's like there is a price to be paid for this <laughs> but you know what and I think that's what we have to do is we have to hold that. We have to hold that and say, this is where you need to get to. Everybody come here, raise the, raise the consciousness, not just of yourself, but by doing so you've raised the consciousness of the whole, of your community, of everything. Um, and that's where we need to be. And we will reach a tipping point. And I think it'll tip really, really quickly. And we will tip out of fear and into what I'm going to call love, but call it happiness, freedom, call it whatever you like, and these higher vibrational emotions. So that's where I think we're going. I think we're going to be going to tip and it's going to be so much fun. I'm not saying it's not a little bit scary on the way, but, you know, in for a penny, in for a pound. I think we can just have a lot. We can have a lot of enjoyment with this. Yeah. And when it goes, I just think we'll realize our power and we won't need to be. Yeah. We, we will not want to be dependent on anyone. We, the government will be irrelevant. Um, a lot of things will be irrelevant. The judiciary, things like that. We will sort ourselves out. Thank you. <laughs> because we're adults and we can do that. And we don't need to sit across from each other going, yeah, boo. Uh, yeah. We can actually sit around and sort things out like proper rational thinking people um, who are not stuck in the lower energies of um, fight, flight, fear, you know, unable to make any decision other than run or freeze or something like that. We can actually look outside the box. We can come up with solutions because that's, I think that's how society is going to be in the future. I've got a very optimistic view of it. <laughs> so when I was in my thirties, so in the 1990s, I started um, going to a homeopath and I'd got loads of health issues. I couldn't eat um, health, what was, called healthy foods and I, I I was so allergic and intolerant when I went to see the immunologist they told me that I was the most allergic and intolerant person that he'd ever seen and the only other person equivalent to me had been on a nth visit to um, casualty but because of my family's approach if I fainted then they just sort of propped me up and I'd be all right type thing so I started going to the homeopath and I went to my GP and she was a lovely GP that you always had to wait. She didn't just do the 10 minute or whatever appointment. And I knew she was a good GP because of having to wait. And I went in and I was so much better. And she said, oh, you know, what are you doing type thing? And I said, oh, homeopathy. Oh, oh, can you tell me what you're taking? And I said, well, no, it's not that simple. Because she wanted a sort of, right, that symptom, that homeopath. Mm. And, and it's like, oh, and she just really switched off. But she was so excited initially. And, and I know while I was going through marriage breakdown, I could go and see my homeopath. And he's a wonderful medically trained doctor as well and trained homeopaths as well. And my children didn't even know I'd been to see him. And my son would say to me, 
have you had some of your happy pills, Mum? Because I'd lifted and I felt so much better. And he didn't know that I'd been there, but he could tell with how I was. And that, to me, speaks volumes. And this is what we need to get back to, those basics. Yeah. I mean, the body, I'm sure you, you alluded to it earlier, the body is basically, um, I mean, this wonderful thing that we walk around in. But it does also tell us what's going on in our energy. And, you know, so our thoughts and our beliefs are also energy. Um, the th thoughts being the earliest and then emotions coming usually just after. But they are energy and they are stored in the body if you don't let them go. And the body will tell you about it. I'm sure, you know, and people are not used to dealing with that. So if I, you know, they won't look at their body and go, oh, I wonder what's going on now. I'll go and sit with it for a while and see what emotions come up and I will see what's happening. What they'll do is they will try and get something to suppress the symptom. Mm. And then that's, so the body, you know, has to find another way to communicate. And it, it sort of doesn't matter because um, if you carry on ignoring it, it will shout louder and it will keep shouting louder and the disease will, will get worse. And at some point you'll have to take notice of it, even if you it's on your deathbed. But at some point, you will have to take notice of what's going on. Um, so but people need to be no, they need to know this. I mean, homeopathy is an energetic medicine. That's why you couldn't just say to Julie, "Oh, you need to take this pill for that symptom." You can't do that. You've got to look at the whole person, see what's going on in the energy, and then choose um, choose the right remedies. I mean, I do a lot of energy work myself, um, energy healing, energy. Uh, I'm an energy mentor. Um, so basically, if, if there's something in the body and I want to know what the thought and emotion is behind that, what the what's trapped in there. No, I'm not too bothered about which muscle it is or anything like that. I, know, I tend to know because I've done a physiology degree. I've got various um, traditional <laughs> traditional um, textbook knowledge uh, going on in my head. But basically what I'm wanting to do is find out what's happening in the energy. How can we let it go and how can we bring in something much better into the energy and that is really basic stuff i think it's really basic stuff that we should know from pretty much age zero and i know when i did my massage training um they, they said that it massage can actually release emotional uh, stuff and it might even make the person cry and the person doesn't even need to know what it is that was the cause of it but just know it's released. And I know through all the different therapies I've um, received, they're, they're just so, I love variety. So one therapy would not be the thing that I would go for all the time. But, and I do think everybody needs variety and it's different things at different times. But there's so much out there that we could be doing and relatively easily. And sometimes people can get some um, side effects that, they know where what pharmaceuticals do, but some side effects that when one of my particular clients receives reflexology, she always used to say, I know I'll be sort of more feeling my hips the next 24 hours, but then after that, they'll be so much better. And, and so I talked to them about, if there's anything you're concerned about, give me a ring. I had one client who came to me received reflexology for the first time that um, evening she was really really ill and her husband rang me the next day 
And I said, well, that's not usual. And I sort of supported him enough with it. And then he rang me back uh, later on in the day. Oh, loads of people at her work have had this. They're loads poorlier than she is. And she's got better a lot quicker than the rest of them. And so they were pleased that she'd received it. But when when he rang me with the symptoms she'd got, I'm like, I've not really known that happened before. Normally, yeah, you might go to the toilet a bit more or something like that. But then it takes or something. Yeah, you can, have a, you can have a bit of a healing crisis, we'd call it, you know, where you know the release does can be a bit unpleasant. You know, it can be snot and bowel yeah. movements and tears and that and headaches and things like that just energy moving around <laughs> tummy gurgles are a common one aren't they <laughs> but all that's all that sort of thing it's just um you know energy shifting around so you can get these sort of little healing crises but they're not uh you but know even, really last no, even like the tummy gurgles and the burping or trumping or whatever our society and your name our society has sort of made those things that oh you shouldn't be doing those and then you end up with different pains and stuff like that when actually if you'd let that happen you'd be in a lot better state and I'm I quite grateful <laughs> I, don't, I don't like all that happening in public <laughs> I, I know yeah but that's how our society's brought us up yeah. isn't it? and when I when I've done my teaching of different therapies I always have to get more toilet rolls in because people will be processing and they're like I don't know why I'm going to the toilet so much but they are literally going to the toilet weeing and pooing to release stuff and it's yeah. a really good sign I'm like yeah great <laughs> it is it's really good I mean it's such a healthy thing to do um and yes it I'm not suggesting that we start doing this in public I think that's uh yeah. you know it's it's very nice not to have smelly stuff around and snot and things when you're um socializing but it is quite important that you know in the privacy of your own bathroom or whatever you do let it let go what you need to let go <laughs> <laughs> well, this this all reminds me. I spoke to a um a woman that runs a home birthing group, a international one at this point. And it was fascinating because she was basically explaining to me it was a whole red pill rabbit hole in itself that birth is treated as as if it's always going to be traumatic. And she was saying, no, it's a physiological process, just like you've described. And I think we've hit this point where. Uh, there's such a severe mistrust in the system that, um, yeah, we've got to start from the ground up and learn about all this stuff. But we've been talking about all of it. And I think that this is much more useful than just like pouring through the WEF documents, as you say, yeah. and, um, and becoming the best at the person who's going to fight what they're going to do. I've decided it's irrelevant. Their authority, well, was null and void as soon as they plunged us into this. So don't think of them as the authority and the one that you need yeah. to jump at. They, you know, they they are irrelevant. Um, I've had a wonderful time talking to you all, but I have to ask Julie, what are you going to do as the mayor of Mansfield? Well, I'm going to transform Mansfield to be there for the people and get out of you know all this officialdom and these ridiculous meetings that they have that do seem to quite often just be rubber stamping what they've already decided so um we need to hopefully get the council people out there into the communities rather than stuck doing the admin and um i'd love to have children sort of getting involved in what's happening in your local community how can you be part of that local community 
And obviously, I'm going to have to take different steps with this, but I am here to voice and to say, well, common law says do no harm. So why have we got all these legislation things and rules and regulations in place? Why have we got on our local bin lorry saying that you can come to the local council for your MOT? No, we need that with the local businesses. And mm. it really, we, we need to get the town centres um, back up and running. And would you believe they've now got Mansfield um, Marketplace free um, store holding for the whole of May for the marketplace? And Brilliant. I'm going to take honour for that one. I think you should. I think you've <laughs> definitely made that. But I think, we, you know, we, um, Julie has some great ideas. I mean, she knows Mansfield really well for a start because... Uh, so she um, remembers how it used to be and it used to be that it actually used to be quite pretty quite a decent town it looked nice and looked ordered um, with lovely buildings and this is one of my one of my hobby horses is project ugly I'm so sick of project ugly and it's in everything in in music in art you know I'm sorry if I offend anybody there <laughs> but I do think that there has been a massive um, a massive attempt to bring down the vibration by having Project Ugly. So replacing beautiful buildings with, you know, concrete boxes that are dispiriting and that make people feel awful. So um, rejuvenating the town centres and making them actually look like nice, beautiful town centres, places people want to be, places that feel nice, that they have, you know, maybe they've got some trees there, bring you a bit closer to nature. Um, some bird sounds and things like that. Just really, it's very basic. We don't need a sort of plastic yellow bin when you've got a lovely cast iron um, black one with a, maybe a bit of carving on, something like that. Looks nice to use. And it just treats people like they are, you know, treats people with respect, treats people, you know, they're taking the trouble to walk down your street, <laughs> make it look nice. And I'd, so... Project Ugly is one of them. Um, and the other one... Can I, that, like, one in Can I just bring one in? So one of the local businesses was telling me they're in a conservation building. They've got a great big um, front window that's been broken four times in the last 10 years. They can't get insurance because of it being a conservation building. And the council haven't allowed them to have any screening up. And I've said, well, surely we can come up with some screening that has some representation of historic Mansfield on it. And it is so close to where the River Morn is. And Mo the River Morn is where Mansfield gets its name. For, so it was Mornsfield. And one of the other big things I want to do is get the River Morn properly. They've channeled it off somewhere. And so it is not a significant river like it used to be. And it's had blue-green algae for years, ever since they started channeling it off. So we need to start to use that as a proper river and hopefully to get the town mills and things like that working to generate electricity but we sustainable electricity come yeah. on you know we've rachel was on a, a study team um in derbyshire weren't you and you found that the river system in derbyshire or just one river system could power the whole of the uk there's enough the water in the peak UK. district yeah enough water in the peak district to power the whole of the uk but the challenge is that the rivers are quite often owned by the big estates mm -hmm. and 
oh, you can't put hydro in because it's going to affect the trout, you know. And so we have to, yes, ecology is important. However, people are also important. And the, the level of energy bills now, I, I personally think it's being done deliberately to suck money away out of the system as well as all of the inflation, because the big corporates own everything. So what are they doing? They, they're sucking and sucking and sucking money out everywhere and making and impoverishing people so that so many people, I did an event last weekend and I did a talk about prosperity and abundance and everyone in that room was like on the financial edge. It was actually quite sad. And so many people are just, there's really struggling at the moment and it's being done deliberately. This is a very sinister ploy to suck money. And all of this money is coming out of the poor people and it's going into the bank accounts of the 1%. And it's... It, it's and there is no need. There is no need for this. I mean, the, um, the, I mean, we have, as we've seen, all this energy all around us that we can use. Um, so this idea that we need to you know, um, pay a lot for it is absolute rubbish. But the thing is that there is absolutely no need for us to be paying, say, huge amounts of tax or any tax at all, actually, because we have seen from COVID and Ukraine and all the rest of it, these silly projects that they've done, paying for the app and whatever, that if they want the money, they will just get the banks to print it. And it, so why are we paying tax at all? The only reason we are paying tax is to be enslaved, to make us poor and to become dependent. So absolutely, you know, government, I mean, I know money is a bit of a myth anyway, and the whole thing is based on debt and is completely worthless. But let's keep the illusion of money for a while while we think about it. Government don't need to take it off us. They've shown they don't need to. When they want it for their pet project, they will get the banks to print it for them. Mm. It's and also we'll bring in the benefit for one parent per family to uh, be able to have that financing for the basics. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm not entirely comfortable with benefits at all because I tend to think well, independence no. and everything. But there has to be a bridging point. You know, we're not we, we can't go from here to. Yeah, but this someone is who's, uh, still thinking of it as being benefit in their terms. All it is is that is their salary that they are being paid as a parent. And if we call it a, a parent salary, yeah. I just I just really feel that we have to be very, very careful of this, this idea of a universal basic income because that's going to be the, oh, we're going to help you out. We've decided we're going to help everyone out and make it really yeah, easy. For everyone. We're going to give you a universal basic income so that you're going to, so you don't need to worry and it's going to help everyone. There's just a few catches, you know, you're going to have to be up to date with your jabs and you're going to have to comply with our rules and, if you don't comply. So this social credit scoring that's coming in and it's gonna, I suspect it's, this is why the scarcity is coming in to, to because they want people to say, yes, we consent. And the easiest way to do that is go right to the root chakra of survival, base survival needs, food, energy, you know, those base survival needs and shelter. 
And if you can if you can get people into desperation over base survival needs right at the bottom of Maslow's hierarchy of needs, then people are much more likely to cave in and, and comply a bit like, as Lynn was saying, with people who didn't want to lose their job and just mm -hmm. had to go along with the bullshit. So we're it's a very dangerous situation we're in. Well, I fully anticipate that plenty of people are going to go along with it and are going to get the UBI, but I don't know any of them anymore. And I presume you guys don't really know any of those people anymore. Um, and and yeah, that's that's why I pretty much solely want to focus on talking to people that are already in the process of building something. So that's why it's been it's been really exciting to talk today. And um, I, I, so I want regular updates on on what's going on. So uh, tell people how to get involved as well, because I think people should. I think well, there's loads of people, and it's not just us. There are lots of um, organisations. Some are concentrating on bringing, empowering people with common law, and some are concentrating on um, getting heritage seeds up and running, so we don't have to rely on the manufactured ones that are that hybrids that don't reproduce and things like that. So there's, um, yeah, food cooperatives, all that sort of thing. So lo lots and lots going on. And I think that's really encouraging. Um, and I think there's also there's a lot of independence now running. I mean, that doesn't guarantee that they, you know, are into freedom and things like that. But a lot of people are now taking that responsibility. They're coming. They're looking at the world and going, we don't have the luxury of sitting down and letting um, someone else do this anymore. We've all got to step up. And so that's happening all over the place, which is brilliant. So lots of little parties um, coming along and lots of independence um, to get involved with love um well that's just brilliant we love it um uh, the website is www.love-party.co.uk i was so rubbish at that <laughs> so yeah um when is a member become one of our beacons become a, that's that's what our candidates are being they are we want them to sort of have this network of beacons right around the country telling people how to empower themselves and uh, so um, the beacons are, are for candidates and what we really could do with is people stepping forwards to be candidates for these elections that are happening on the 4th of may because the more people that we can get on the um, ballot paper. So because we haven't got recognised by the Electoral Commission yet, my name is going to be Julie Tasker um, hyphen love, because that's what's on my leaflets that's getting out there. And even if people haven't got leaflets, if they could get that word love out there, then they'll start to engage with having that on the ballot paper. And even if they don't actually vote for them because they don't know much about them, hopefully the word's starting to get out there. And certainly um, I delivered leaflets for 10 hours on Saturday and about six hours on Sunday. Mm -hmm. And I've got another 10,000 coming on Friday. So I'm getting out there with other people helping me and supporting me with that. And we need to really, when, when I see people, I'm not knocking on doors, but I am saying, right, I'm putting myself forward as a candidate for mayor and it's liberation, opportunity, vitality, empowerment. And I do say it's love, but it's grounded love. And I don't always use that word, but either. Um, and really just saying, we need to get things changed. We need to be there for the people. 
and being really practical. And I've had so many positive responses and people even starting to ring me up because my phone number's on that leaflet. And, and it is wonderful, the support I'm getting, including in my local micropub. Oh, oh gosh, a micropub. There you go. There's a nice little project. But yes, um, and if we're not, if we're not on the ballot paper, then there are other parties that are. And I would definitely, I, you know, basically vote for anyone but the globalist lot. <laughs> but there are some really good ones. You know, there are other good, sincere people like uh, um, the Alliance for Democracy and Freedom is good. Um, Freedom Alliance are coming back. Uh, and then there are other parties that, no, we don't agree 100 percent, but they they have the right idea on a lot of things. So vote for them. Um, you know, let's get the freedom ticket moving first. You know, we can we can get round the table like adults and discuss the other things. But basically, we need to get rid of the WEF globalist parties. Mm. And after that, you know, because we're not we're not the Tories and Labour, we can actually sit round and you know sit together and come up with proper solutions. And um, you know, we don't have to have this sort of you're either a Labour or you're a Tory. We can just um, and I would say probably mainly not even sit together, just get into our local communities and just get into the local community. Yeah, just empower people, just you know, encourage them to do their own thing instead of waiting for permission from the authorities. <laughs> you know, let's forget that. That's ridiculous. Um, you know, assuming that we can't do something unless we're told we can. It should be exactly the other way around. We can do stuff. We can do anything we like. You know, unless there is a good reason for a specific law that says we can't um, well, just do no harm as in do no harm exactly <laughs> do no harm cause no loss call, you know commit no fraud it's not difficult is it we all know what's we know right from wrong <laughs> it's pretty basic most of us do anyway but uh i think this is where we have heart-led stuff as well we, we we need to come from the heart because the heart does know right from wrong whereas the head can be twisted with um you know you can try and rationalize stuff that is completely wrong. I think the transgender thing is an obvious example of that, where it started off with gay rights and then it's like, oh, but you know, we've got, um, we've got to give rights to people who are um, transgender and then they, they get themselves all in a big cobble. And then it's um, the next thing it's, um, well, if it's a preference, then obviously kids is a preference as well. And so there's this terrible rationalizing that gets you to something that's really horrible and it's either you end up mutilating kids or you end up saying that paedophilia is okay. But no, we've got this basic do no harm. Very, very simple. And, and I, I really find that saying that we're doing this for future generations, because sometimes people can't cope with thinking of doing it for themselves. But if they're thinking of doing it for future generations, then it's like, oh, yeah, actually, we need to, because otherwise there's not really going to be anywhere for people to live and be comfortable and have proper communities. <laughs> yeah. So. Rachel, any any final words before I wrap up? Yeah. So just to say thank you, Nick, for hosting this, and thank you for all of your efforts on alternative media and getting the message out for the freedom movement. So thank you for having us on. It's been great fun. I can see we've been on for like one hour, 45 minutes nearly. It's like, we, could you just, could you stop us talking? No, it's just like, we could just talk for England. 
<laughs> well, yeah, no, I don't want to, because um, I want to hear all about this stuff. Because um, it is empowering, as you say. It works. It works. Um, it's the cure for all the doom and gloom is to just connect with people like this and get busy. So that's what yeah. I'm doing. And uh, it's great to connect with some people who are even more busy than me. So good <laughs> luck in everything. And I'll, uh, I'll, I'll send you this as soon as it's out. Thank you very much. Thank Thanks. you very much, Nick.